on Christine's lap? Yes, he's very excited that she's alive. <laughs> Finnegan, stop. There's just a lot of cords. I'm just worried about the cords, you fool. Okay. I have this effect on men. I don't know. It's... Hi, you're handsome, and I love you. Oh, his fur's coming in nicely. Isn't it? Last time I saw him, he had, like, a buzz cut. It was weird. Okay. All right, enough about me. This is the Limbaugh. It's, uh... It's a show about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh-huh. those who've received it, those who should receive it, and uh, Rush Limbaugh himself. I'm Clay Russell. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Brian Tuft. Christine, I I feel like you uh, didn't miss much uh, whenever you were away, uh, besides it seems like everything just uh, officially sucking now. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, World War Three started while I was away, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Christine, uh, what task did your Squid Game contestant that you were sponsoring die on? And how did they top the glass bridge? I was going to say, they died on the glass bridge. Because they picked number six. Yeah. Not not far enough along. You know, the real Squid Game is the friends they made along the way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, we uh, have a war that started whenever you were away. Uh, Hmm. We had the... State of the Union speech, Biden's first official State of the Union speech. Anyone have any thoughts on that? I thought that he did everything that he was supposed to do. I thought it went really well. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, as somebody who voted for him, like, I was easily bought. Like, the the price of admission was pretty low for, uh, you know, Uncle Joe. But I think that um, the flow of it, like, the idea that it started with the Ukraine thing, and he didn't go for the cheap gag. Like, he easily could have said... The democracy in Ukraine is under attack, much like some people in this room put democracy under attack on January 6th. (laughs) He didn't go for that, which I feel like a lot of other people, including the previous guy, would have done. Mm -hmm. Instead, he really was driving at a note of unity. He talked about the the unity in NATO. He talked about the country coming together. He talked about trying to get Congress to come together. Like It really was a thing where every time I thought it was going to veer into the, he's going to go for the the money line and he's going to, you know, go for the soundbite. He didn't. And he really kind of kept it on the level. Um, mm-hmm. So I have to say all in all, it was very good. I will say though, um, as somebody who does not believe that the president is cognitive decline, uh, just to get that on the record, I think that the Republican and more so specifically the Donald Trump line of attack that, you know, a crazy Uncle Joe, he's he's failing, he's not all there. I think when he comes out and just so sharp and so on the level and is just able to deliver a message and is able to, you know, kind of take the power that comes with being the President of the United States, it always seems like a little bit of a surprise because so much of the talking points around him are that he's, you know, this, like, babbling idiot who throws up his porridge. <laughs> that porridge stayed down, you guys. And it's 
tough because he's not a naturally gifted speaker. And so I think he's always going to have uh, that divide in terms of public opinion uh, about his, his speaking style and all that. But you're right, Brian. Like when you actually see him in front of other lawmakers giving a presentation, that's when he, he makes his point as opposed to giving a soundbite, uh, you know, while walking to, to Marine one or whatever. So yeah, that's going to be an issue that he's going to have throughout his presidency. Uh, something else that I think was interesting on the media coverage side of that is that it was only 10 short years ago that, uh, it was front news when somebody, screamed at the president, you lie. And it happened on a pretty regular occurrence in this speech multiple times. And we're not really talking about it. I don't know if that just says that, you know, we're kind of ignoring the bad actors or if we're just we've almost accepted the level of divide in Congress right now. I honestly think that if it were like before Ukraine was invaded, I think that the Marjorie Taylor Greene um, Lauren Boebert. Whatever her version of you lie was during the uh, uh, part where he was talking about his dead son who had served in Iraq um, while discussing um, our veterans and the wars that were started in the Bush administration. Um, I think that that would dominate the news. I think we'd be talking about that. I think there'd be like, you know, calls for Kevin McCarthy to bring her on the carpet. And I think, uh, you know, um, Rachel Maddow and you know, the gang at MSNBC would be having a field day between that and the idea that at CPAC, she spoke at an event that was organized by a white supremacist who said they're comparing Putin to Hitler and they want us to think that that's a bad thing. And then she went on immediately after that speech. And I think, unfortunately for us, because those are conversations that need to be had about this woman and her behavior and especially the lack of decorum at the State of the Union, but I think that um, there's just more pressing stuff at hand. Well, also, like, she and, um, what's the other one? The brunette one. Lauren. Lauren Boebert. Bobert. Sweetie, she's from some state where they do not pronounce it like that. It's Bobert. <laughs> Bobert. <laughs> I believe Colorado. Oh, yeah. Big, big French. Uh, how you say in, uh, in yeah. Denver? How you say IPA macro brewery? <laughs> Apriski? See you play. I mean, I'm, in a way, I'm sort of glad that they aren't getting the attention that they. No, I've seen a few memes of like the two of them screaming during the um, Bo Biden portion, and it's like when when you, when you finally get to speak to the manager, um, <laughs> which I think is very <laughs> like just the internet continues to never miss. I have two things I say every week: bipartisanship is dead, and the internet is always the best. <laughs> But the internet is part of why bipartisanship is dead. Yeah, I'm sure it's that. Well, speaking of uh, uh, the internet bringing us mostly bad news in the State of the Union this week, I think in the pop culture sense, just to move on to our next topic that I wanted to discuss with you guys, maybe I'm completely overthinking this, but the uh, new Batman movie is coming out. Uh, the Batman is what it's called. Very creative. And this is the 11th live action series of Batman that we've had in 30 years. We've had more Batmans than we have James Bond films. And I enjoy those movies, but I am curious why we keep going back to tap that vein of that character. And if that says anything 
about the culture that we're living in at the moment. I, uh, mm. I don't know. I, maybe I'm, again, going through a uh, Make America Great Again phase where I'm just like, remember the Christopher Reeve Supermans and like how innocent we were? Mm-hmm. Or is there something to read into this that, that we are connecting now with this dark character who, you know, has the reputation of beating the shit out of people and vigilantism? I mean, it's weird because I think the and I know that they're trying not to be Marvel. The thing with Marvel is like they've shown that you can take kind of like obscure comic characters and make people fall in love with them. So many people had never heard of the um... Wasp. No. Incredible <laughs> the, Hulk. No, 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 the the group with Chris Pratt and oh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians. <laughs> See, I can't even. They were like a very specific group of nerds that were super excited when a Guardians of the Galaxy movie was announced, and everyone else was like, "Who? <laughs> like her?" Um, but you it was are great. right. There have been obviously more Marvel movies than there have been Batman movies in the last yeah. thirty years. So that's a good point. But it's also like, why Batman over and over again? Um, like, how many times do we need to see a strand of pearls like hitting the the alley? There is a supercut on the internet. You can count it. Oh my god! <laughs> they even have like, um, as somebody who was like, I was not a Marvel person. I was a DC person, and I remember like I was obsessed with like the old, like, 70s and 80s cartoons that aired, like, before I was born, like, catching them on cable. And when I would... I remember there being an episode where, like, it's focused on Batman, and they show you the pearls hitting the ground in the, you know, behind the alleyway, behind the movie theater. And it's included in the supercut. But, like, I, I just... It seems impossible to use the words Bruce Wayne on screen without being like, we gotta open this movie. You know how? They're going to see... <laughs> and I'm curious now that it's 2022... It's usually like 30 years ago. What movie do we think Robert Pattinson saw, before, you know, on, right before his parents were killed? Like, do you think they went to go see like a screening of Forrest Gump? And that's what's <laughs> going to be on the marquee uh, in front. That's a great question. Them seeing Silence of the Lambs and him just being completely unshaken. <laughs> Maybe instead of a pearl necklace, because I feel like those are sort of passe. Like it would be like a, a diamond tennis bracelet or like. That would be chic. You know. Let's I just want to know what would be the most embarrassing movie to watch in the 90s as it is your last act before you get shot by a mugger. Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> They're emotionally walking out of Howard the Duck. After, um, I, I, names are escaping me. The mom from Back to the Future. Car- Leah. Leah Thompson. Thompson. Thompson, yes. I wanted to say Leah Remney because everything comes back to Scientology. Mm-hmm. Like, we just watched her have sex with a puppet duck. And then, like, that's <laughs> and then your you last. Die. It's moment. like, how are we going to talk to our son about this? And the mugger comes out and is like, I can help you. And they're like, oh, yeah. thank God. <laughs> yeah. What I will say, though, about, like, I'm not going to get into the, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus the DC Universe. Like, every time we reboot Batman, it gets darker and grittier and he just becomes like more like disillusioned with the realities of our current day and i mean i'm sorry like the tim burton movies you brought up the christopher reeve um 
Superman movies, like those two Tim Burton movies are so fun. Yeah. Everybody has like, you know, a personality. There's so much color, like, you know, like camp. (laughs) That second one, Batman forever. I think it's called Batman forever, right? It's actually called Batman returns, Batman returns. I'm sorry. Thank you, Brian. That's a beautiful looking movie. Like the production design on that is all time. And they didn't want him to come back because he it was too weird and it was too sexy. Like, I miss when Batman would fuck. Like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I don't think Robert Pattinson fucks. Um, I've seen Twilight. Like, even give me a Joel Schumacher, baby. Like, I, I want to see some nipples on a suit. Like, you know, <laughs> let's let's have fun again. Let's let's have a soundtrack that includes Kiss From by a Rose or maybe just <gasps> 12 songs by Prince. Like, I I need something. Like, I just feel like these movies are so... It looks so dark. It looks so joyless. And the idea that it's three hours long... Like, how hard are these riddles that Paul Vano is turning out? (laughs) I don't need a fucking, you know, 25-minute montage of Robert Pattinson trying to solve a riddle like me trying to solve the wordle without coffee. Like, please... (laughs) But, I mean, Paul Dano looks like he has no fun, though. So I imagine he probably does really get into his riddles. Whereas Jim Carrey would be like, hey, here are three sentences. Goodbye. Off to a party. How do you serve 16 apples to 20 people? And then, like, leaves. And it's like, you know, it takes Batman five minutes to be like, you make applesauce. Like, that's the kind of shit I want. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Like, does that, does this shit say something about our society that we keep going for these darker and darker characterizations of our folk heroes and and this view that only one person can solve it again maybe i'm completely full of shit here but like i feel like the entire uh reason for batman existing is because society and the justice system and all of that can't be relied on and so he has to do it himself well, and there's also that fantasy, right? Like, he's a superhero who doesn't have any superpowers. His superpower is being rich. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's resonating with people, too. Yeah. I do blame Christopher Nolan, though. Like, once that first Batman Begins movie came out, like, suddenly it was like, we need a gritty reboot about Nancy Drew. No, we don't. Like, Nancy Drew needs to be wearing, like, a tennis skirt and say things like, I'll be there in a jiffy, Carson, or whatever the fuck her boyfriend's name was. Like, I don't need a story about, like, her being tortured after, like, watching her housekeeper be murdered. Like, please just, I mean, yeah, it even affected Superman too. the mascot of optimistic superheroes snaps a guy's neck in his lone standalone Superman film. The darkest part of that movie is it's just yet another movie that wastes Amy Adams. I do agree with you that there is some sort of an undertone there. Like, you know, especially with the idea that we're deputizing citizens, uh, to rat on people who get abortions or allow their kids to go for, you know, treatment to affirm their gender. Mm-hmm. Like, we've essentially kind of, like, made everybody, you know, there's that law, I forget what state it is, where they want to give, like, make it so that if if you see a crime and you have a gun, you can, like, intervene. Like, Are you referring to Florida, where Christine just got back from? The stand your ground law? It's one that they're introducing now. So like I don't an know even if, more if extreme a, I mean, I feel like Jesus. Florida's already a, a wasteland, so I might be... Maybe, but I just, I feel like the idea that Batman is such a a story that people keep turning to and the idea that it is about somebody who's like, you know, um, there's a justice system and I'm vengeance. I think, you know, there, that does speak to something that is going on. And I, as somebody who has been dreading this movie since the first trailer has come out, I did not put two and two together. I was just like, Jesus Christ, what's the lighting budget on this? (laughs) Looks like it's taking place in a cave. Yeah. Not just the scenes where he's running the, the analysis on the riddles. 
Yeah. Well, we'll see how it is. Totally smooth segue alert coming in three, two, one. Speaking of rich people with complicated relationships with their parents, holy smooth segue, Batman. Christine <laughs> has a profile on Lawrence Rockefeller. Coming up next. Oh my God, Clay. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be like the one who's like, you know, old man yells at cloud this episode, but I miss when a movie had a soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, when Clay gets back from his walkabout, I guess I'll start talking about Lawrence Rock. Just getting some tea. You can start now. <laughs> start now. We are into Lyndon Baines Johnson's era. Um, and this one was tough. I There's a lot of different ways you can go when you're looking at his list, but I thought let's do a deep dive on, to be honest, a member of the Rockefeller family that I didn't really know a lot about. So I was like, hmm, I wonder why this Rockefeller in particular got the award. Just to place you in the Rockefeller family tree, Lawrence Rockefeller was born on May 26, 1910, and was the son of John Rockefeller Jr., which makes him the grandson of the original John D. Rockefeller. So John D. Rockefeller Jr., so Lawrence's father, had six children, of which Lawrence was one of five sons, which we'll get to in a minute. So, um, you know, the, the John D. Rockefeller uh, wealth, which is now spread, I think, into five, maybe six generations, was only in its third generation when he was born. So it was like... Yeah, it was a good time to be born into the Rockefeller family. So it's funny because I actually, I'm not going to go into detail on any of them, but I did poke around extensively in the in the Rockefeller family tree, both of Lawrence's generation, which is sort of the third generation and more recent ones. And it's like really interesting to watch what people do with their lives when they don't have to make money. Like maybe I'm wrong about this because mm-hmm. I haven't researched it enough, but I feel like they are surprisingly void of controversy. Oh my God. Yes. And like tragedy other than, um, I think his name is Michael who I don't know the exact connection. I think he's one of Lawrence's like cousins, you know, in a different sub branch of the family tree, um, disappeared without a trace on like, a, on an excursion when he was 26 years old. And other than that, there haven't been a ton of, like, tragic demises either. Recently, they had the news item that even though that that family made their initial money off of the oil industry, that they are making moves to divest from oil, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and um, I'll get to it shortly, but um, conservation was actually a passion of Lawrence's specifically, and I'm pretty sure is why uh, he he got an award. So... um, you know, he had like a classic upper class uh, early life growing up with all of his uh, brothers and one sister. He went to Princeton uh, University and he went to Harvard Law School, um, which is crazy that the son of an oil baron was able to get into Ivy League colleges, right? That almost never happens. It's weird. I know. Um, and then he married a childhood friend named Mary French, um, who was like, you know, their moms were friends and like, 
Lawrence was her brother's roommate in college. Like, it was one of those, like, two great families are uniting. and Arranged grand- marriage for the cocktail parties. Oh, we know the Frenches. Our daughters came out together. <laughs> so Mary, his wife, was also the granddaughter of a tycoon. Um, her grandfather was Frederick H. Billings, president of Northern Pacific Railway. So... Just like a classic old-timey, you know, Monopoly kind of um, kind of union. Yeah, they seem super chill. <laughs> totally. Um, so he and Mary had three daughters and a son, uh, which is great. And then, of course, they had a bunch of children. There's so many Rockefellers, you guys. It's There's like a whole family tree, <laughs> which is fascinating. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, in 1937, he inherited his grandfather's seat on the New York Stock Exchange, like you do. And um, he and his brothers, so I think I mentioned he was one of five, they started, okay, this is another, um, this is more evidence of the scope of this family and their wealth. Um, He and his brothers founded the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, which is not the Rockefeller Family Foundation. (laughs) There's like a whole separate, you know, there's multiple multiple Rockefeller um, organizations, which is great, I guess. But I think they, didn't they also like have to do that? Yeah, they breaking up of Standard Oil was one of the very first monopoly cases as well. Exactly. They had to break up their wealth because they were so dominant in the oil industry. Yeah, and so by the time Lawrence was around, I think a lot of those things were already in motion. So it was like, well, what should we do? Let's start a fund. As of 2020, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund's endowment was $1.27 billion. So, again, this is only one of the Rockefeller family's uh, – little funds. So uh, among other things, they, they got involved in venture capital. Um, he uh, formed a joint partnership with his um, brothers and their other sister to create Benrock Associates, which provided early funding for Intel and Apple computers, among many other startup technology companies. They contributed a little bit, a little That's bit. That's cool. And then, you know, they, uh, the family in general is uh, kind of the what you would expect. Um, they're uh, active with MoMA, um, Sloan, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and then, of course, there's Rockefeller University. Um, he had some interest in aviation. He learned to fly. He became friends with this, like, I guess, famous air captain named Eddie Rickenbacker who was an American fighter ace in World War I. And he, Eddie, his friend Eddie, got the Medal of Honor, which is the military, you know, like the original military award um, mm-hmm. that the civilian award is kind of modeled after. He was considered by Lyndon Johnson, actually, for a position in his cabinet. Um, they considered him for a secretary of HUD. But instead, that position went to Robert C. Weaver, who was the first black cabinet member in American history. So, you know... It's not so bad that uh, that Lawrence didn't get the job. Um, okay, getting on to some more of the quirky, because I think all of this like tracks with what you would expect from a member of the Rockefeller family. We're going to get into some of his more quirky things. So one is he ended up developing a lot of resorts, and he particularly was like, it was like proto-ecotourism. He opened a bunch of hotels in... Um, kind of like island Caribbean places. So um, St. John, the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, which some of the property was... uh, This is another thing with him, um, and I think maybe with other members of the family as well, um, having these like gorgeous, massive properties and then donating some of them to become parks. 
So some of the property of his resort was eventually turned over to the U.S. Virgin Islands um, to be a park. Uh, he had resorts on Puerto in Puerto Rico on Virgin Gorda, which is in the um, British Virgin Islands, and in Hawaii. Um, and it's considered to be like a precursor to what we now know as ecotourism. And um, the one that I found most interesting was the Mauna Kea, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, Beach Hotel in Hawaii. We're going to transition pretty well into his conservation, his passion for like environmental issues and conservation. And so um, it, it like kind of tracks that this incredibly wealthy man was like, I know the way to get people to care about the environment is to like let them stay in complete luxury in these like beautiful places around the world. Um, which I mean, I don't know. I've been to like Grand Cayman and it really made me care about the environment. Don't you guys think so? Yeah, that's that's debatable. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about conservation and then we're going to get to like the weirdest thing about him. So this one is interesting. I think. This might have been a Lady Bird Johnson, maybe not outright like she picked him, but she might have been like in uh, LBJ's ear like, hey, this guy's pretty great. Because apparently in 1967, she called him America's leading conservationist. Um, And he was also apparently uh, there's an award called the Lady Bird Johnson Conservation Award, which he has been a recipient of. So it was Lady Bird her given name. It was given to her by her. Got it. <laughs> That's a ladybird joke. We love Greta Gerwig on the podcast. Um, so he's had a lot of um, federal, state, local um, appointments and has sort of been an unofficial advisor to every president since Dwight D. Eisenhower of involving like wildness, wildlife preservation and ecology. Um, and he also founded the American Conservation Association. He funded the expansion of Grand Teton National Parks and was instrumental in kind of establishing and enlarging national parks throughout the United States. Um, And one more note about uh, fancy awards. He was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal in September 1991 by George H.W. Bush for his contributions to conservation and historic preservation. Um, And it was the first time in the history of the Congressional Gold Medal at the time that had been awarded for anything having to do with the environment, um, which apparently earned him the nickname Mr. Conservation, which is snappy. And I feel like Mr. Conservation really rolls off the tongue. Like you could hear Ella Fitzgerald singing a ditty about it. Oh, Mr. Conservation. It's like right up there with like how Pitbull is Mr. Worldwide. Sure. Exactly. (laughs) Just like that, Brian. Um... So one more interesting footnote about his conservation, and then we'll get to the really fun part. Um, So in 1992, so by the way, I don't know, like other than the the one tragic cousin or whatever who disappeared on an excursion, like the Rockefellers tend to live a long time, which I'm sure is not unrelated to their massive like wealth and um, access to anything they could ever want. So he did live, um, he only passed away in 2004 at the age of 94. Um, and his brother lived a what, like 101, I was think. Was that the one that just passed away a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah. They're... Yeah, died at 101, David Rockefeller. Yeah, they, they do all right. In that Who's film? the one who had like seven heart transplants? And like he literally looked like a vampire and everyone was Wasn't like... it Nelson? Wasn't it Nelson Rockefeller that had the, the Nelson heart transplants? Nelson was the one that was vice president. Um, and governor of New York. Mm-hmm. I remember there being a thing where like... 
there was like an investigation where it was like every hospital that he had gotten a heart transplant, like there was suddenly like a huge influx of cash, like right in. And then all of a sudden, like he was like, heart number five. <laughs> this one's a keeper. Yes. Give me child hearts. <laughs> Um, so in, uh, sorry, 2001, uh, cause he was still alive, he transferred ownership of a, um, 1100 acre ranch to the Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And I guess when you do that and you're a member of the Rockefeller family, there's like a little like to do about it. So Vice President Dick Cheney accepted that donation on behalf of the federal government. He was like, Hello, sir. Here is my massive property um, to be added to Grand Teton National Park. And Dick Cheney was like, thanks, I'm going to go kill some animals on your property. <laughs> At least you didn't shoot anyone in the face on that property. As far as we know. He has, like, too many um, environmentally related positions to really list, but it's, like, Museum of Natural History, um, National Geographic Society, National Parks Foundation, New York Zoological Society, Wildlife Conservation Society, yada, yada, yada. So I'm going to tell you guys about one quirky interest of his, um, and I want you to guess. if So everything I've told you about Mr. Lawrence Rockefeller so far, rich guy, you know, inherited all this wealth, started a fund, you know, supports the arts, supports conservation. Like, what's, what's the one missing thing that could complete this picture? No one has any guesses? Hookers? Like a story about hookers? No, we were just saying it's all so uncontroversial. I just, it's, I'm trying to think of something that would break the mold. Okay, no, not hookers. No. I'm sorry, guys. No, I feel like hookers is what you would expect. Right. Actually, I'm going to say that he's obsessed with extraterrestrials. God damn it, Brian. You looked at the Google Doc, didn't you? <laughs> okay, so later in his life, he became interested in UFOs. So his niece... Um, God, I don't even know. It's impossible to track which sibling he's. this woman was the daughter of. So we'll just say his niece, Anne. Um, <laughs> the year was 1993. Bill Clinton was the president. Lawrence Rockefeller was in his 80s and was like, you know what? I've advised presidents since Eisenhower. I have a good platform. I'm going to talk to Clinton about UFOs. <laughs> So he uh, and his niece established the UFO Disclosure Initiative to the Clinton White House. They asked for any information regarding UFOs held by the government, including from the U.S. Air Force, from the CIA. And uh, they also asked for um, anything related to UFOs to be declassified and released to the um, public. You know, we, we all have our weird hobbies. This is his weird yeah, hobby. It's charming, right? Like, yeah. I it's thought it cool. was going to be hookers. There are plenty of rich people whose hobby is hookers, but UFOs, that's all right. You know? Clay, I'm uncomfortable with the language hookers. Like, maybe we could just go with sex workers. Okay. Sex it's 2022, workers. Grandpa. That's Ladies of the evening. Come out of the bad cave. Hey, I, you yeah, know. but we're like... talking about someone born in 1910. He definitely <laughs> right. would have called them hookers. So he literally, and again, when you're, when you're a Rockefeller... You can go talk to the president about UFOs because he briefed Clinton on the results of his research in 1995. And Clinton was just like, wow. Hey, I'll call you. <laughs> um, so what I shared in the – this is not written by um, Lawrence Rockefeller, but it's basically someone 
summarizing the activity of Lawrence Rockefeller in this um, report and reporting to Clinton. And so I thought it would be fun if we our um, supplemental material showdown uh, came from this document. Okay. The documents consist of all these correspondence coming into and going from the office on the requested subjects. There is some internal correspondences on these issues. All the FOIA filed in the areas of the UFOs were included in the package. Most of the 991 pages were related to the Rockefeller Disclosure Initiative set up to gain declassification of all UFOs files held by the United States government. I should note, though, at this point, to anyone thinking of paying precisely $135 and no sense to obtain this set of documents that the documents are very poorly filed compared to the excellent list of documents compiled by the FOIA officer Barbara Ann Ferguson. The first set of documents I received was short, almost 300 pages from what was listed. After attempts to straighten this out, I discovered 170 pages still missing. Okay, many are convinced that the Roswell marks the beginning of government secrecy about UFOs. However, whatever the truth of Roswell, a definitive statement about it from the government would be very important. If it actually was UFO-related, it could be used to start the process of reversing the government's 40-plus years of denial of the subject. If it can fully be explained as a not-UFO-related, it would be a significant contribution to the field and perhaps even contribute to more rigor in the research of the subject. If this specific project initiative is successful, it will become an important prototype for the release of all UFO information. Obviously, the means of carrying out this event-related review is up to you. However, to the extent that we can be helpful, we want to be. This one's tough. You guys both brought this, like, manic energy into it, and I... Um, maybe we can link it in the show notes, you guys, because if anyone's curious, this is... It's wild. There's like 37 footnotes. I mean, there's... This is supplemental material that has supplemental material. Worth it alone to see a guy's altavista.com email address listed, which is as 90s as it gets. Love it. Oh, yeah, and this is like a plain text, Times New Roman. Yeah, so good. Anyway... I'm going to have to give it to Brian, actually. Okay. <laughs> well, she knows that she, Christina and I are recording together, and she knows that if she had given it to Clay, I would make her leave. <laughs> I know, and I didn't put on an Elizabeth Holmes amount of eyeliner not to stay and watch the first episode of The Dropout. So anyway, that sort of uh, is a little summary of Lawrence Rockefeller. He died um, of pulmonary fibrosis on July 11, 2004, at the age of 94. And is buried at Sleepy Hollow next to his wife, who predeceased him in 1997 at the age of 86. In 1969, um, little did we know he still had like 40 more years to go, was when he got his award from Lyndon B. Johnson. And like I said, um, in addition to just publicly speaking his praises, Lady Bird Johnson also gave him her own eponymous um, conservation award. So I, I you know, I not only do I think like I have no problems. I mean, I'm not like, oh, thank God this man got an award, but I have no, he's certainly not a Limbaugh to me, um, because I think this is a good snapshot of like, okay, you're born into this immense wealth and privilege, you know, what are you going to do with it? And one of the things he did was start a foundation with his brothers, which among other things, like funded early 
venture capital for technology development. He became a passionate conservationist. And then in his later years, you know, he got a little kooky and got into UFOs. And at this point, he already had the medal, you know, so he had nothing to lose. And the UFOs weren't hurting anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My dog said that the UFOs were hurting people. (laughs) It's true. Sorry, Finnegan. (laughs) Said, how dare you? Misinformation. (laughs) Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so it's, you know, I wonder, have we experienced this before? Have we sort of had an award where it's jumped out as much that the first lady could have perhaps been the the advocate for the recipient? Because I I thought that that was something that... Surely there's some Nancy Reagan shit. There has to be. Let's, Let's take a look next time we get to Reagan. Yeah, I wonder what Nancy's astrologer's name was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's it, guys. Who do you think, since uh, Lawrence is no longer with us, who do you think would be an equivalent today? Which is a big ask because, you know, like, yes, people like Jeff Bezos have an insane amount of money, but he had like two kids and sucks. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I really enjoy when a public figure comes from money that, wasn't a uh, benefit to society who recognizes that and actually uses that wealth for good. I kept thinking about Alfred Nobel while you were giving that, uh, the, the wonderful profile. If people don't know, he's uh, obviously now famous for the Nobel peace prize, but he earned his money. He was the inventor of dynamite, which killed countless people in wars and conflicts around the world. And he recognized that he did something that, that definitely wasn't a positive for society and used that money through uh, arms sales and, and uses of war to start something good and to really spotlight people that brought about peace as opposed to war. So yeah. that got me thinking about that of people that you that made their money from something that wasn't necessarily a societal benefit. And with that, you mentioned it a little bit. But my person of who Lawrence Rockefeller would be today would be Mackenzie Scott, formerly Mackenzie Bezos. Fuck, that was my answer. Okay, <laughs> no, that's good though because that means that's the answer. But Love yeah, I, Mackenzie Scott, huge fans on the pod. Yeah. She's still relatively young. She's 51 years old. She has she married like uh, a cute science teacher. Her second act is like, Mwah. Mm-hmm. and it'll be very interesting to see what she does with that money. And maybe she'll do it to like Alfred Nobel kind of spotlight, maybe a counter argument to Amazon and, and their business practices. I agree. I hope. Yeah. In 20 years or who knows how long we, we get to see. Ms. Scott receive uh, some awards for her humanitarian work. So, yeah, if you want to learn more about the Rockefeller family, go check out the fascinating um, family tree on uh, Wikipedia and just start clicking on all the names and uh, see what develops. All right. When we come back, uh, Brian is going to lead us through the medals of the week. We are back. Uh, it is time for our medals of the week. Um, 
most times the president will award a presidential medal of freedom based on a lifetime of merit and accomplishment, but sometimes you can earn one in just a week. Um, Christine, do you want to start? Yeah, no, mine's going to be very unsurprising to the two of you as you look at me in my black turtleneck and heavy eyeliner. But uh, Are you giving a Limbaugh? Okay, wait. No? Yeah, I was going to... Like, are you giving one to like somebody who's like, they're shitty, but like you can't help but admire it? Because I'm giving one of those too. I'm sure it's fake as fuck, but I do okay. love profiles when actors are depicted as like, they moved out of Hollywood and moved to a farm. And isn't that what Amanda Seyfried did? Kind of. Yeah, she has social anxiety, so she like hates Hollywood. Anyway, <sighs> Brian threw me for a loop. Okay, my medal of the week is going to be a Limbaugh, and it's going to go to Elizabeth Holmes. Um, She is once again in the news because um, I think her trial is like ongoing. I can't really remember. I don't think she's been sentenced. Yeah. Oh, right. She was found guilty on some, but not all in his awaiting sentencing. As of our recording on March 3rd, the year of our Lord. I'm fascinated. Like, what's up with the husband? Oh, my God. They've had, like, two kids. And he's he met her after Theranos. Like, she was already Elizabeth Holmes when he met her. And he's like, he that's someone I like, want to build a life with. He was like, I do? <laughs> or whatever her voice is. So, um, I don't think I need to say too much about the whole Elizabeth Holmes story, because you either know it or you don't. Um, it's like the, the thing that gets me is the audacity. That's the word that, and literally as soon as we're done recording, Brian and I are going to watch the first episode of the dropout. So stay tuned next week for my thoughts and reflections on that. But, um, the idea that you can get that far, um, which actually didn't she come up in my, um, my profile about, yeah, the guy who, um, eradicated smallpox was on her medical advisory board. Like mm-hmm. the, the William Faggy, the caliber, obviously, Obama uh, the caliber and um, accomplishments of the people that she was able to fool um, and convince that, like, she not only did she know what she was talking about, but that her product was actually going either going to work or already worked. It's like the sheer force of her. It's not even self-confidence. It's, like, beyond that. It's, like, off the charts into some other realm. And I hate it because she actually hurt people. You know, they did uh, roll out some of these malfunctioning machines, and people got incorrect blood test results. And so she did actual harm to people. It's not just, like, you know, maybe another anti-hero, like Anna... um, whatever her real name is, Sorokin, who, like, scammed a bunch of dumb rich people out of money. Like, she actually hurt ordinary people. So, you know, to me, she's not an anti-hero, which is why this is a Limbaugh and not a a gold medal. But, um, like, you also can't help but wonder, like, what's stopping everyone else <laughs> from just being like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, or, like, it's close enough that by the time I have to show the receipts, I'll have it figured out. Yeah, the fact that she uh, that there are people out there in the society who think that they can just lie to a bunch of people and defraud people and think that it's all going to work out their way. It's yes. uh, I know that affluenza is this bullshit buzzword, but like you do kind of feel that way of like, well, I'm rich, so I can get away with this. Yeah, so that's my she's just on the brain because of the show coming out, and so that's my Limbaugh. I'm not only excited because I love a scammer series, but because 
um, I can't remember if it was Variety or the New York Times, but one of them said that in a season of subpar scammer series, the dropout is the only real deal. So I, I got to tell you, listeners, the bar is set very high. I'm very excited to Our see what... Our expectations are as high as um, Elizabeth Holmes' split ends. Nice. And this is airing on Hulu, is that correct? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, so I also, as I said earlier, um, have a Limbaugh to award. Um, and it doesn't make me happy to have to give this award out. It's very much like a, uh, you've really let me down. Um, you're my, not mad, you're disappointed. Yeah, I guess. Uh, my Limbaugh uh, for Medal of the Week is going to go to Sam Elliott. Um, as a gay person, um, I didn't know who Sam Elliott was until 2018 when he was in A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. Um, that's a lie, but like, that's really like when he came into the forefront for me as like somebody who, um, he'd always been like a that guy. Like, you know, I remember seeing him in the mustache, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah he... Hell of a stash. I believe um, Lewis Vertel on the podcast Keep It referred to him as a used toothbrush. Like he's just like a, <laughs> a like a bunch of white grizzled hair. Um, but this week, uh, while making the rounds to promote a um, series that everyone's father is probably very excited about, it's a spinoff of Yellowstone, uh, he was asked about the Jane Campion film The Power of the Dog and called it a piece of shit. And then when the host of the podcast, Mark Maron's uh, WTF podcast, uh, when Mark Maron pushed back and said, did you not like the film? Uh, Elliot said, fuck no. I looked at it when I was down there in Texas doing 1883, the aforementioned Yellowstone spinoff. And what really brought it home to me the other day, there was a full page ad out in the LA Times and there was a review, not a review, but a clip. And it talked about the evisceration of the American myth. And I thought, what the fuck? What the fuck? This is the guy that's done Westerns forever, the evisceration of the American myth. They made it look like, what, all those dancers, those guys in New York who wear bow ties and nothing else, remember them from back in the day? And at this point, uh, Mark Maron has to jump in and refer, uh, you know, let him know the Chippendales dancers. <laughs> and he goes, that's what all these fucking cowboys in that movie looked like. They're running around in chaps and no shirts. There are all these allusions to homosexuality through the fucking movie. So like, okay, you have homophobia. That's, that's bad. Like not, not a good look. We on the pod are anti-homophobia, just to be clear. Pro rat anti-homophobia. Sam Elliott goes to, on to say, what the fuck does this woman, she's a brilliant director, by the way, I love her work, previous work, as, yeah, fucking Sam Elliott is sitting there watching the piano, get fucked. <laughs> I really, I really like her early stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm obsessed with In the Cut, Meg Ryan, <laughs> justice for Meg Ryan. <laughs> but what the fuck does this woman from down there, New Zealand, know about the American West? And why in the fuck does she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana and say this is the way it was? That fucking rubbed me the wrong way, pal. Okay, Sam Elliott, as I said, has been in a million movies. He's a classic, that guy. Sam Elliott voiced a dinosaur in the Pixar film The Good Dinosaur. And I'm going to ask the hard question, what the fuck does Sam Elliott know about being a dinosaur? What the fuck does the director of that movie know about being a good dinosaur? It's called acting, Sam Elliott. I thought you did a very good job acting in A Star is Born. Were you there when that star was born? When, when it popped up in the galaxy? You were not. 
Like, it just, it's so disappointing because it's sexist, it's homophobic, it's short-sighted, and it really cuts down on this movie that obviously I'm very much in the corner of um, as a the number one Kirsten Dunst fan in the world. But, like, I, I just, I have to say, as somebody who really, you know always knew who Sam Elliott was peripherally and then really came to kind of respect him and was rooting for him during the Oscars the year that the Star is Born had its run. I just found this to be very disappointing and to be just so unnecessary. Like, to just say, like, oh, I didn't really enjoy that film or, you know, like, just say no. But, like, to, like, expose yourself as, like, first of all, having bad taste and then to be homophobic and then to be sexist is, like, one of the few successful like, female xenophobic, directors. like, Like, someone from another country couldn't possibly talk about America. But, guys, I think you're both missing the point. What he's inferring here is that he somehow has access to a time machine that can go back to the era of the Cowboys, inferring that he knows what it was actually like and that he wasn't actually born in 1944 and doesn't know what the fuck era he's talking about either. Oh, shit, Brian. Do you want to revise your statement? Yeah, I mean, I think that we should be praising the inventor of a time machine, really. Well, is that who your medal is for, Clay? <laughs> <laughs> Sam Elliott's time machine. It goes It goes to the uh, phone booth that Sam Elliott stole from Bill and Ted so he could go back to the cowboy era and learn about cowboy time so he could talk about how inaccurate Power of the Dog is. Instead of going back to kill Hitler, he went back to cowboy time. To, like, do his own research on cowboy time so he can be like... He went full like, method. I went back to uh, cowboy times and there were no gay people and there was no one from New Zealand. <laughs> Not a single right. one of either. None. There were no homos and no Kiwis. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine isn't serious. It's it's just kind of a, a tip of the hat. I, I think a lot about the state of journalism each year when I watch the State of the Union speech. And I just wanted to give a little tip of the hat for people that are doing a good job. This My medal this week goes to the streaming service of CBS News, not actual CBS news. But uh, for those who don't know, uh, on your Roku or whatever device that you have... We get it, Clay. You cut the cord. You never had the cord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, never never had it, Brian. What's up? Just Sam Elliott's time machine. (laughs) But it's been around for about five years. It was formerly called CBSN. Uh, Now they've rebranded it to be called CBS News. And it's mostly the younger journalists that are out there. You can tell that they are all ambitious and that they don't have just that cult of personality bullshit that you're getting on both the right with Fox News and the left with MSNBC, where it's just about the host. With these people, the thing that appealed to me at first is that the sets of the anchors presenting to looked like absolute shit. It looked like they were given a budget of 20 bucks and it just looked like garbage. And it was just like, we're going to actually present the news. We're going to do a good job with it. We're going to interview a whole bunch of of writers and people who aren't necessarily media savvy. And they're going to actually call the shots fair. Uh, And uh, I just wanted to, to give my my medal to CBS News. Because I think that that's a really good team, and I feel like it's almost like a little sandbox where they can teach young journalists to be able to 
to actually practice good journalism and not segue into just all the bullshit of car chases and celebrity news that uh, we're used to with the the mainstream news network. So, yes, mine goes to CBS News. And this is new information for me. I didn't know that little gem was there. Do you think maybe the streaming service has such a low budget because they got whatever was left over from signing Katie Couric, which went great? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, not as bad as Megyn Kelly. (laughs) who I'm pretty sure NBC is still paying. Where do I get that job? Maybe they're paying her to be quiet and we should be thankful. (laughs) It's like farmers getting paid like not to farm so they can rest the soil. It's like that. What is NBC's budget for paying people to keep quiet? You have all the people that Matt Lauer assaulted. You have Megyn Kelly. (laughs) You have uh, the people that they danced around and wouldn't allow uh, Ronan Farrow to report on. Um, everyone who worked on The Apprentice who like didn't. Leak oh, but any no, that's sh- not them. That's um, Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett is the person who uh, he has them all signed to NDAs that they can't release the footage. Because I remember they were trying to get Mark Cuban to pay the NDA so that somebody could leak the footage of Trump apparently using racial slurs like in the days leading up to, I think, 2020. <sighs> Although at this point, like, I don't think that would. I think it would make NBC look like shit again that they're covering that stuff up to make a profit. You know who would have had a great day that day when that footage came out is Ann Curry. Every day she just wakes up she yeah. at whatever time she wants to not show up to Rockefeller Center and she just counts her money. Yet another person they're paying to keep quiet. Yeah. Well, great metal picks uh, this week, guys. Um, I'm also glad that I got to badmouth Batman on the record i feel like that's gonna be my like origin story is like becoming like the new joker <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean do you think that maybe the the source of sam elliott's rage is that because of his toothbrush mustache that if he put on the batman mask everyone would immediately be able to tell it was him it might be and he was just like the gaze <laughs> look what they've done to me michael <laughs> well great week um mm-hmm. christine glad to have you back Thank you. So sorry for the player you sponsored in Squid Game, but, you know, better luck next year. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's it. No. Follow us on Twitter at Limbaugh Podcast. Hell yeah. You know, I took a break. I took a much-needed reset, and now I have, like, a new energy, and now I remember what our social Mm -hmm. media tag is. And, by the way, just to preview a little thing that we're doing in the future, we may be live-tweeting the Oscars. Mm -hmm. 